You are listening to The Loop Podcast, a project in plastic surgery innovation. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Loop Podcast. So today I'm going to do a recording for pressure sore management. So this is a pretty easy topic on the in-service exam. And I say that mostly because every year, if you look back at the last five years, there's either one or two questions every year on the exam. So a fairly low yield topic. However, it could be some easy points if you you listen to this episode and get all the information and just memorize a few things. Before we get started, I just wanted to give a shout out to our team this year. We've been putting out some great content and we've got this incredible group of medical students who've done a great job this year putting in a lot of hours just getting the content on paper for us. And then also um, Yasmeen Burns, who is one of our new core hosts. She's done such a fantastic job organizing everything this year and recording and editing and Uh, I'm just very thankful for all the hard work with everyone because without everyone's help, we wouldn't be able to put out all these episodes. Now let's get started talking a little bit more about pressure sores. So first of all, I took all this information. I reviewed all of the exam questions on pressure sores from the past five years. And like I said, only one to two questions per year. And all the questions centered around a few specific points. So number one, they want to know what flaps are appropriate for which defects. So we'll go over that. They also want to know what are the risk factors for development of pressure sores. And then a little bit different, what are the risk factors for recurrence? So these are kind of things that need to be memorized because it's not always intuitive. Um, The next thing is, what about medical management of these patients? They're usually paraplegics, um, so what are things you need to think about in the perioperative period? And there was also a question about elder abuse. So, you know, someone with a a pressure ulcer and other signs of abuse, that was kind of an easy question. You need to alert, alert the appropriate authorities. And lastly, there was a question about perioperative management, such as like bone biopsy to make sure you have um, treated osteomyelitis appropriately prior to flapping. Next, other resources that I used to put this together, um, just Grab and Smith textbook, as well as a publication entitled Evidence-Based Medicine Pressure Sores, and this was published in PRS. Also take a look at our Instagram posts so that you can see some of the diagrams that may be helpful to understand all of this material. All right, first let's talk about pathophysiology. So pressure injuries are caused by unrelieved mechanical pressure to soft tissue, okay? So this is usually over some sort of bony bony prominence, um, usually weight-bearing, and the most common being sacrum, ischium, heel, or trochanter. So pressure injury occurs when the perfusion is impaired to this tissue, and that is when external pressure exceeds the capillary bed pressure, which is 32 millimeters of mercury. Usually this can be avoided if you relieve pressure over bony prominence for only five minutes every two hours, and this allows for adequate perfusion to uh, prevent soft tissue breakdown. Another important thing to note is that uh, pathologically speaking, first the muscle is affected before the skin. So you get this phenomenon that 
you usually see referred to as tip of the iceberg. So meaning there's way more extensive tissue damage beneath the skin, what you cannot see. So just remember this when you're debriding a wound that is probably worse than what you can see just with the naked eye. Other factors that you should know about that exacerbate soft tissue injury include friction, shearing forces, malnutrition, moisture, and neurologic injury. Interestingly, we do not have evidence that urine or stool directly causes or worsens pressure-related injuries. However, the moisture from having urine in the bed, for example, does increase the coefficient of friction and therefore worsens a pressure injury. Let's talk about clinical prevention and management. First, the control of extrinsic factors. First is behavioral modification. So this means mobilize or reposition the patient, avoid prolonged sitting, encourage smoking cessation, manage excess perspiration in and around the wound and skin folds, and establish effective toileting routines to reduce and prevent spoilage and maceration of the tissue. Other extrinsic factors are pressure relief. So, you know, we're always taught elevate the head of the bed, but specifically for pressure ulcers is actually the opposite. So you want to minimize head of bed elevation to reduce that sacral shear force. So it needs to be less than 45 degrees. Next, so reposition every two hours and, and encourage mobility. You can use um, adjuncts to pressure offloads, such as wedges, pillows, boots, in the operating room, this means floating heels, um, even scalp massage and pad pressure points appropriately. Also pressure relieving mattresses or pressure relieving seating surfaces. So foam, low air loss mattress, air fluidized mattress, and then also consider prophylactic foam dressings on high risk surfaces. Next is control of intrinsic factors. So this means optimize comorbidity, such as diabetes, optimize kidney function, manage incontinence, manage fistulas, and then also, this goes along with managing diabetes, but make sure there's optimal blood glucose control with an A1C of less than 6%. So that's a very specific number that you'll see on the exam. Also correcting anemia, nutrition, Definitely con consult a nutritionist for assessment and dietary modifications for caloric goals specific for wound healing. You want to check albumin and prealbumin. The ideal goal for albumin is greater than 3.0 before operating. Next is infection management. Of course, you want to treat infection, avoid bedside swabs. You only want to do like intraoperative deep cultures. You can perform an MRI when indicated to evaluate for the extent of osteomyelitis. However, the gold standard is a bone biopsy. I could go on and on with medical management. However, I don't think this will be high yield for the exam. So let's talk about management. Of course, you want to debride and make sure you have control of infection and certainly uh, management of any osteomyelitis. So this next portion is very important because there's always a question on this. Management of pressure injury based on the location. So first, the ischium. So this is common in patients that are seated for prolonged periods, such as wheelchair-bound patients, and there's a high recurrence rate due to the pressure and tension across the joint while sitting. 
When you reconstruct the ischium, you want to make sure and consider a flap that can be readvanced subsequently when it breaks down in the future. Options for reconstruction really are local advancement of a fascia cutaneous flap, a V to Y advancement of hamstring flap, or a tensor fasciolata flap. The local advancement of fascia cutaneous flap that is basically like a posterior thigh flap. Now the sacrum. These defects are common in supine or bedridden patients. One thing to consider when reconstructing these is the depth of the wound because you may need to fill some dead space. The most common musculocutaneous flap is based on the gluteus maximus muscle. This can be superior or inferiorly based and the ability to rotate, advance, or turn over. You can also use a fasciocutaneous flap or partial gluteus muscle if the patient is ambulatory and maybe the gluteus maximus muscle is not expendable. Next, trochanter. These are common in patients positioned laterally for prolonged periods of time. And commonly, this is reconstructed using TFL flap, tensor fasciolata, but you can also do a pedicled ALT flap. And that was actually a question, I believe, last year was how to reconstruct trochanteric defect, and that was the TFL flap. Next, very important, let's talk about risk factors for development which we've touched on already, but specifically advanced age, male sex, that's been a question, altered sensorium, moisture, immobility, malnutrition, and friction shear injury. Now a little bit different risk factors for post-operative complications and recurrence. Young age, less than 45 years. So this is different than the risk factors for development low albumin, less than 3.5 grams per deciliter, African-American, ischial location, flap choice, V to Y thigh flap has a higher risk, smoking, premature sitting postoperatively, and anemia requiring perioperative blood transfusion. Factors that increase risk of infection post-op, diabetes, ASA class greater than 3, perioperative blood transfusion, and long operative times. And finally, the risk factors for post-op wound dehiscence and flap failure. Again, ischial location, low albumin, less than 3.5, anemia requiring blood transfusion, long operative time, acute osteomyelitis, and then, very important, hemoglobin A1c greater than 6%. Now let's do a quick review of the high points. So you're gonna have pressure-related injury when the pressure exceeds the capillary bed pressure of 32 millimeters of mercury. Relieving pressure for five minutes every two hours allows for adequate perfusion to reduce risk of breakdown. Pressure injury resolution can only occur if infection is treated, pressure is relieved, and exacerbating spasms or contractures are controlled. Medical and nutrition optimizations are critical before reconstruction should be attempted. And because of the high risk of recurrence, choice of soft tissue closure should always anticipate the need for future reoperation. So you want to choose that flap that you're able to re-elevate and re-advance when you have a new ulcer in the same location. Also, successful pressure injury treatment depends on multidisciplinary team efforts with both medical and surgical management in a team-based approach. 
Now flap choices. So trochanteric ulcers need a TFL flap. Sacral ulcers need a gluteal flap. And ischial ulcers need something from probably the posterior thigh, a fasciocutaneous advancement flap. All right, so that's it for what you need to know about pressure sores for the exam this year. So let us know if you have any questions. Just check out our Instagram. We'll also post some of these diagrams. I hope this has been helpful. So yeah, make sure and follow us to stay in the loop.